When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Star Wars 7x7, episode 2111. Today, we're picking back up on the Hope series, and we are looking at the nature of hope as it is depicted in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy, and thank you so much for joining me for it. So, back in the latter part of 2019, I started a series of episodes where I analyzed each of the Star Wars movies through the lens of hope. And the reason for my doing that was because I had been selected to give a talk at a TEDx event in November of 2019. Now, we managed to get through The Force Awakens before other things took editorial precedent, as it were. The TED talk actually went off and I you know, feel like it went off reasonably well, but I still don't have the video yet. In fact, the videos for everybody's TEDx talk from that event, they still haven't been released yet. They're still working on them in the background, and so it will come out when it comes out. But I thought to myself, well, while we have time, and because, you know, the longer this goes, the more likely it's going to come out any day now, I figured, let's finish our Hope series so that way all of the movies can be discussed through the lens of Hope before we get to that TEDx talk coming out. And, hey, The Rise of Skywalker's out on home video, which allows for, you know, a deeper analysis, if you will. But today, we're going to be talking about Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And for all the movies that we have looked at so far, Rogue One is actually the one that I think is probably the most definitive in terms of having characters that exist on a scale of hope on one hand and hopelessness on the other, and either, you know, staying within a certain range on that scale or shifting size entirely on that scale. I think the first person that we should discuss actually is kind of the moral center of the film, and that, for you know, my thinking at least, is Galen Erso. Now, the backstory in brief on Galen was that he was a scientist working on the creation of the Death Star, but when he realized what was happening and how terrible it was going to be, he had a crisis of conscience and left, escaped, with the help of Saw Gerrera, as it turns out. So he and his wife, Lyra, and their young daughter, Jin, managed to escape, and for a while they were safe, but unfortunately, as Rogue One begins, Director Krennic has tracked down his old working buddy Galen Erso and says, the project is stalled, I need you to come back, which is like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that sounds like you're just bringing an old colleague back, not an old colleague who actually actively tried to disappear because he utterly disagreed <laughs> with what was happening. And in thinking about Galen Erso's choices through all of this, I find that he is acted with hope in pretty much every circumstance. He does what he can to get Lyra and Jin away, but obviously Lyra comes back. And I'd like to point out for the record that Director Krennic actually orders his Death Troopers to shoot Lyra before Lyra pulls the trigger and shoots Director Krennic. So 
yeah, they're really at fault. Like, she ultimately, you know, drew the gun on him, but she didn't actually fire until he gave the order for them to fire on her. And so once Galen was captured, well, he has a couple of choices. Either A, he kills himself perhaps, and then Krennic has denied his prize, but would the work still continue somehow? Would Krennic somehow find a way to complete the project? That's certainly a possibility. And Galen going with at least can see, you know, where the situation lies, if it's possible that he could still finish it, which you would figure Galen has come to that conclusion by the time that we meet him again later on in the movie in the timeline. But Galen's decision instead is to learn how to lie and to build a weakness into the Death Star. This is somebody who is acting with hope even in the most hopeless of circumstances, that even if he has to create this monster, this terrible engine of destruction, if he has to be a part of this, then he's going to find a way to make it so that it can be as easily destroyed as humanly possible. And at the same time, he works to radicalize an Imperial pilot in the person of Bodhi Rook to try and get him to defect and get the information to Saw about what's going on with the Death Star and get a hold of the plans that will reveal the weakness, etc., etc. You know how this goes. And then you have somebody who is not necessarily the moral center of the film, but somebody whose level of hope is pretty consistent throughout, and that would be Cassian Andor. He has been working for the Rebellion for so long that it was actually working for the you know, Confederacy of Independent Systems, in other words, the Separatists, back when they were opposing the Galactic Republic. So he's been in the fight since he was six years old, as he likes to tell Jin in the heat of an argument. He is doing what he can for the Rebellion now, and unfortunately, but you know, possibly necessarily, having to do some very dirty deeds in the process. And he even talks about that in his final speech that he gives on Yavin 4 about, you know, how many terrible things that he and his compatriots have done on behalf of the Rebellion and how terrible it would be if it was all for nothing. And that's how he decides to go all in on the Scarif Raid and convince his, you know, fellow Pathfinders to join him. But we find out within the Rebellion that... Hope is not a stable quantity sort of situation, right? When the word gets out that the planet killer actually does exist and they have that big meeting where Jin gives her speech, and we'll get to the Hope speech a little bit later, you hear from a number of people on the Alliance Leadership Council that, all right, it's hopeless, that's it, we're done for. The best thing we can do is run and hide and try and save our individual families, maybe our individual systems, but there's absolutely no hope. And it kind of gives you the idea that hope doesn't necessarily exist by itself, which you know, it doesn't. But in this particular case, hope has to be paired with some other emotion. Hope doesn't just exist by itself as an airy-fairy, oh, you know, isn't that nice to have hope? Hope has to be an active concept. It has to be paired with action that can be taken that sustains it. And if somebody gets to the point where they are unable to take an action that sustains hope, then the flicker of hope goes out. And action's actually only sort of one half of the hope-supporting coin. The other half of it is belief, the fact that you even think that there's a possibility that something can work, and whether the odds are enough or the cause is enough, 
that your belief will motivate you into action and your action can sustain your belief. Both of those factors help to drive hope and actually keep it alive. So in that moment, in that big meeting, when members of the Alliance Council start, for all intents and purposes, giving up, that's a combination of belief and action. You know, neither is able to support their hope, and so hope dies for those folks. But it doesn't die for everyone. In fact, if one person has gotten incredibly fired up about it, and that is the most remarkable journey in this whole movie, and it's the journey of Jin Erso, who goes from hopelessness to hope. When we first meet Jin Erso, she is just a little girl and she has seen her mother killed before her eyes. She has seen her father kidnapped by the bad guys before her eyes. She barely escapes capture herself and is just sitting in a hole hoping that somebody's going to rescue her. And the person who rescues her is Saw Gerrera, who is no angel and <laughs> is getting crazier by the day. I mean, he is an angel of sorts, but... Yeah, it gets pretty bad, and we're not going to discuss Jin's backstory too much in this because I'm going to keep it focused on what we see in the movies themselves, but the novel Rebel Rising by Beth Revis details her time with Saw and afterward, right up until we meet her again in Rogue One when we see her in the Imperial Prison Labor Camp. And it's pretty awful. I mean, just having everything stripped from her piece by piece by piece. And in the novel, it says that she is sentenced to five years in this labor camp, but that most people barely survive six months because they either get killed by the Imperial prison guards or by some of the other prison inmates. Yeah, not good. And so when the rebels show up to free her, her first instinct is to run as far away as she can. She wants no part of any rebellion. She's already had a very bad taste in her mouth from her time with Saw Gerrera. And all she can think about is just escaping and getting away. So, I mean, how hopeless do you have to be that even when people come and rescue you, when people break into an Imperial prison camp to rescue you, you attack them, right? Yeah, that's somebody who is utterly and completely without hope in the situation that we find her in when she is an adult and we are into the meat of the story of Rogue One. To say nothing of the fact that she says that she likes to think that her father is dead and that it's easier that way when she's questioned about him. So imagine her surprise when she finds out that he may well be alive and may be collaborating with the Empire. Obviously, this does not sit well with her. She, you know, for all her, you know, antagonism against the rebels that were trying to rescue her, is still no fan of the Empire, even though she's trying to downplay it and just wants to be left alone and left out of the fight. Ultimately, when she's brought back into the you know, company of Saw Gerrera and she sees the video from her father, uh, that brings everything back for her. And ultimately, it's... Probably the one thing, the only redemptive thing that could have happened that could have cracked her open enough to consider the possibility of hope once more. And just as that flame of hope is starting to be rekindled, it's just barely flickering, it's guttering along, the worst possible thing for it happens with the raid on Edu. I mean, having your father killed in front of you just as you, you know, started to harbor hope that he was alive and you would get to see him again. 
and these people who you've been working with for the briefest of time that, you know, got you in touch with Sagarera and got you exposed to the idea that he was alive were actually trying to kill him. Horrible, just horrible and terrifying. And you can't even imagine what must be going on in Generoso's mind as she's back on that ship and they're leaving. I mean, the fact that she you know, is so incredibly furious with Cassie and, and so <laughs> well-deservedly furious, I mean, it's a shock that she didn't try to kill him in that moment, even with Baze and Chirrut and Bodhi and K2SO there. Like, I mean, what was really stopping her? And I'll tell you what I think it was. It was hope. Because of the fact that you know, she had a moment of you know final closure with her father, but understood what it was that he'd been doing all this time and realized that she was going to be the one to carry on his work or to complete what he had set out to do. He did what he could from inside the system to design the flaw in the Death Star that could be exploited. She is the kind of fighter who could actually do something about that and help the best possible group of people actually do something about it, which is the Rebellion. Sagarera's partisan angels are no more after the raid on Jeddah, but at least this Rebellion exists and she's seen what they have, what they're capable of, and yeah, they may be a ragtag band, but they're better than anything else that the galaxy has, and so the opportunity to strike is now. And this is where we get to one of Jin's big speeches, which would be the one where, you know, somebody says, oh, what chance do we have against this? And she reframes it. She says, it's not what chance, it's what choice. And she talks about how if they don't do something about this, then the Empire is going to overrun the galaxy and, you know, that's it. But they have the power to do something about it and they're not doing it, which is supremely frustrating. And Mon Mothma, you know, is dejected and saying, oh gosh, I hope I can work something out with this. But obviously <laughs> it's not going to work out that way. And so Jyn Erso is going to have to take it into her own hands. And this is where, you know, we talk about the notion that action and belief as underpinnings of hope, they don't have to be in balance exactly. And in fact, for different people, even for the same people in different situations, you know, the balance is going to be different. I mean, in the case of Jen Erso, she knows that, you know, there's very little hope, but there is hope. And so even that tiny fragment of hope is enough. Even, you know, that little belief in the possibility of success is enough that it's worth taking the giant steps of action to do it, the risky steps of action to do it. There are some folks who see a situation like that and think the odds of success need to be better in order for them to believe that they have a chance at succeeding, to believe that there is hope in a situation in order to then take the action necessary. And, you know, for that sort of situation, you know, the action almost isn't as, I don't want to say aggressive, I guess motivated is the word I'm looking for here, because, you know, how driven do you have to be to take action on something when you are very confident that it's gonna succeed, right? You don't have to be all that driven, that motivated per se, to take the action because your belief is strong enough that you just kind of do it and that's it. But when it's so minimal by comparison, then you really have to be driven and motivated to be able to take that risk and you know, move forward and move 
ahead on the hope that you have. And then when, you know, the thought of something like that is overwhelming, even for people who are willing to follow you as a leader into things, well, then the next step is to break it down. And that's Jen Erso's other wonderful speech in this, where she talks about just let's get on the ground and then we'll take the next chance and the next until we get the plans or the chances are spent. And so instead of having people potentially, you know, freeze or or go into flight mode, she breaks down the situation instead. So this monumental thing of get the plans, some people can't handle a giant endeavor like that, but they could handle, okay, let's get to the ground, all right? If we can do that, then we can take the next step. And so hope gets very narrowly focused in that regard. Let's just take the first step and succeed with that. Don't worry about the plans, just get us on the surface of Scarab first. And ultimately, everybody is able to follow through on hope in their own particular ways and carry out the mission. The mission actually ends from a hope perspective perfectly when the plans are actually put into the hands of Princess Leia and the officer asks her, what have they given us? And she says, hope. And if you happen to remember, and if you don't, that's okay, because <laughs> I'll just remind you, when we talked about A New Hope in the very first one of these episodes where we talked about the nature of hope in the Star Wars movies, what I said at the time was, they titled this movie A New Hope, and yes, it was, you know, added after the fact. It was still Star Wars for the first year or so, right? But entitling it A New Hope, or subtitling it, I suppose I should say, the question is, you know, what were they actually referring to? And yes, you could certainly point at, you know, the resurrection of the Jedi Order, and you could point at Luke Skywalker and all this stuff, but really the hope that they were talking about and was laid out for you right in the opening crawl was that the Rebels had achieved their first major victory and stole plans to the Death Star that were supposed to reveal a weakness in it. So the fact that at the end of Rogue One, what is delivered to Leia are the Death Star plans and what she calls it is hope, ties in absolutely perfectly to what the hope is as referred to in the subtitle for episode four, A New Hope, beautifully connected. Now, I talked about a range of hope or, you know, sort of a scale from hope to hopelessness. And somebody who was also on the hopelessness end of the scale and who just made his way just barely across the line into the hope side, I would say, was Saw Gerrera. At, you know, the time that we see him, he is completely and utterly, you know, doubtful about Bodhi Rook's motives, is wildly paranoid, and... Even Jin's arrival, you know, he says, you know, have they sent you to kill me, right? He is just, you know, off his gourd in that regard. But seeing her and seeing the message from Galen Erso seems to have done something to crack him open a little bit too. So at the very end of his life, when he is yelling, save the rebellion, save the dream, like you get a moment of clarity that the idealist is still there inside him. I mean, he's been ostracized for years because of his increasingly violent and paranoid actions, but that core of you know, wanting the best for the galaxy and for the people that he's working for 
it's still there. It's been buried, and ultimately, it gets you know one brief shining moment before it's snuffed out in the Death Star's test on Jeddah. There's one last thing I want to share about this, which has to do with the relationship between Jin and Cassian, and a particular callback that happens in the movie. I've talked about the fact that their relationship gets very strained after the events on Edu, but it seems that Jin has come to a reconciliation with Cassian and his actions, probably because she you know, came to understand that maybe he had been given orders to assassinate Galen, but that he decided not to follow through on his orders, and yet there was still this attack that was coming, and so maybe... He wasn't able to call it off, you know, maybe Jin is able to, you know, look at him and say, all right, he is just, you know, a tool in the system, but he tried to do the right thing in the moment. I don't know. But something had to change about her perception of him for her to be able to stand in that meeting with the Alliance High Council and say, rebellions are built on hope. To echo the line that he shared with her on Jeddah as you know, they were looking around for a contact to get them to Saw Gerrera. And so there's hope that even people who are doing terrible things for the right reasons can actually stop to make a moral decision in the midst of complete and utter chaos. And so that's where I'm going to leave things with you here in our discussion about the nature of hope as it's shown in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the curve be flattening for you wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.